Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, Reflection, a Study of Philippians. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. We are talking about reflecting peace, reflecting peace. And as I even read those words, the words come to my mind first on your outline. How in the world do we find peace in this turbulent world? I mean, it's almost like one of those, oh, isn't that cute, nice words, you know, oh, no, peace. But we can't, and we should, and we do need to find peace, don't we? Even as troubled as our, wor- our, our world is, and we're going to learn practically, hopefully, to apply to our lives, how in the world, in this turbulent world, how can we reflect peace with all that's going on internationally, I won't go into the world dilemmas or politics, for goodness sake, or the anger we hear and see. And, you know, sometimes I think we do need to, you know, put our social media and um, technology on hold so we don't have to be exposed all the time to everything that's going on all the time in our world. It's just sort of wow, isn't it, when we start thinking about all those things or in our personal lives. You know, as I was um, working on this particular lesson, Bob was in the next room working on a project. And it took a lot of physical strength. I think he was, I can't remember what it was, but I think he was lifting things and trying to put things together or something. And I, I remember he was huffing and puffing. And, um, and, and I was thinking about that as I was writing this lesson and thinking, you know, how often in this life we are huffing and puffing, not just to lift a heavy load, but emotionally or spiritually, or just trying to figure out how to handle a difficult situation. We are kind of huffing and puffing and trying to figure it out. And what the Holy Spirit is instructing us through the pen of the Apostle Paul is that Yes, our world is in such turbulence internationally, nationally, personally, and all those kinds of things, but we can find peace in the midst. We can find mit- peace in the midst, absolutely. You know, you, you almost feel like, are you, are you making a joke here? <laughs> are you kidding? But we're going to find out how we're going to be instructed to find peace very truthfully, very firmly, very realistically, very practically, how to have peace in our lives. The first part of finding peace in our lives is A on your outline, to be full of joy. Be full of joy. Uh, The fourth verse in chapter four says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let's read that again. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, what exactly did the Holy Spirit mean as he inspired Paul to write these words? First, does, what does rejoice literally mean? Now, when you want to get a, a literal uh, definition, where do you go? Yes, Webster's Dictionary. This is what he said or she said or whoever said, whoever wrote it said. Wow, I'm getting hung up on stupid details, aren't I? Rejoice means to feel joy or great delight. And in the last uh, few verses, he's been emphasizing that we are to be thinking about 
where we actually belong. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about heavenly citizenship, that we don't thank you, Jesus, don't belong to this world. This is a temporary thing, that actually we're citizens of heaven. And then last week, um, Sarah did such an amazing job of saying, okay, if we are citizens of heaven, then that means what? Then we need to be living our lives in a unified way, loving each other and looking like, okay, Linda is my um, citizenship mate in heaven. So I better think about how I'm treating her today. Has it been okay, by the way, Linda? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway, unity. And, and she talked a great deal about how we are to be unified because we are citizens of heaven. And now the third phrase of importance is for us to be full of joy because joy is part of the process of bringing peace. Now, how in the world do we find joy in the midst? Part of it helps with us be reviewing Paul's life as he writes these words. Now, we've done this, I think, pretty much every week, but I think it's so important that as he's writing these words, rejoice, be full of joy, reflect peace, and all these things that he says, I think it's very helpful to remember the context with, with in which he wrote it. Remember, number one, he himself was in a desperate situation, wasn't he? We've talked about this week after week. He was not only in house arrest, but people were taking advantage. Sarah talked about this in such a great way last week, taking advantage of his imprisonment and preaching with the wrong motive. Um, we've always also talked about how prison, being in the prison system in that day was not a picnic. <laughs> your food, your medical uh, um, help and... Um, all of those things that go into our lives on a daily, da daily basis, when they were put in prison in that day in the Roman Empire, they, were, they did not get medical care or food or any of those things unless their friends outside would minister to them. And so this is Paul. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Pharisee of Pharisee, rich, 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 had everything that the world thinks is important. We talked about how God probably put all that in place to help us understand what he was giving up. And uh, in all that, he says, it's just rubbish to me. It doesn't matter anymore now that I know Jesus. And um, so he, he was, as he was, this man who had everything at one point was now imprisoned, dependent on other people for his daily even sustenance. Wow. And in the midst of that, he says, be full of joy? That puts a lot of credibility to what he has to say. So I kind of want to know, pick an, around in his heart and say, okay, how were you able to do this, Paul, in your life as you were going through all that? Number two, first of all, his situation, he was also um, possibly facing death. He did not know which day he was going to be called up uh, to, to die. And we know that he did at one point, was called up and was beheaded. Why? Because his peacefulness, his peace, his joy, his everything, his citizenship was heaven. And so he lost his life over that. And so we know that as Paul writes these words, be full of joy and peace, we can be guaranteed that he knows what he's talking about, can't we? Wow. Uh, Kent Hughes said this, we must never forget that Paul delivered his defiant command to rejoice Whatever the circumstances, when he was unsure whether he would live or die, and while he was confined to helplessly watching his competitors and enemies make advances among the churches of Rome and Philippi. 
He was in dif difficult situations. So the question is, see on your outline, how is the impossible possible? How can we do this? This sounds incredibly impossible. How is the impossible possible? How in the world can we do this? How can we stand firm? How can we ex uh, experience unity and put aside differences unselfishly? And most of all, how in the world can I find joy in every circumstance and therefore find peace, reflect peace? If I'm reflecting joy, how can I do that? How can I reflect joy and peace? He is telling us and illustrating us uh, illustrating from his own life that number one, Christian joy is not dependent on circumstances. It is not dependent on circumstances. Christian joy is not dependent on on circumstances. I remember um, Maria saying a couple weeks ago, I don't know if something she read or whatever, but or maybe she thought of it herself. Wow. She talked about how from a world's perspective happiness from a world standpoint is related to happenings things that happen in our life oh goody i got a package from ups today or whatever and um oh i got a note finally from that person or whatever um it happenings joy comes from jesus wow that's what it's all about our Christian joy, our Christian peace does not, is not dependent on circumstances. Um, I got so carried away here. Paul is instructing us that we are to be joyful always. There is no circumstance in which we cannot rejoice in the Lord. Let me say that again. Paul's instructing us that we are to be joyful always. There are no circumstances in which we cannot rejoice in the Lord. Wow. Number two. There is a phrase after each impossible instruction uh, in this chapter. And the phrase is, in the Lord. In the Lord. First A, he says in the, four, the first verse of chapter 4, stand firm. How do we do that? In the Lord. How, B, to agree, verse uh, 2 in chapter 4, with each other. How do we do that? In the Lord. And then this one, rejoice, see. How do we do that? Verse 4, in the Lord. It is through him that we are able to do these things that are seemingly impossible in our lives. Number three, the key is that the impossible is possible not through our strength, but his. Every time we stand in our own strength, guess what? We're going to be defeated, aren't we? Um, um, because A, it is not from trying hard. Often we get that from our culture. You know, if it's, uh, if it's all about me and my efforts. I just keep on keeping on. I'm just going to be strong, strong, strong and get this. It reminds me of that children's book. Do you remember this? Or maybe read it to your children or maybe you sang it yourself or said it yourself. But there's a book that was called um, The Little Engine. What? The Engine That Could. Thank you. And what did he say all the time? I think I can guys are so far ahead of me I'm telling you I think I can I think I can and that's sometimes the attitude we take now we're not supposed to sit back and in you know lounge chairs and say okay God do it no we're to work hard but if we're dependent on our own strength guess what it's not going to happen it is God it is not from trying hard B it is not from working hard similar again a cultural thinking it's you know if it's going to be it's up to me can be the, the thinking. I just have to gut this thing out. 
I just have to work hard. I'm going to do this, do this, do this. Or C, here's the, other, other, the opposite of it. It is from him. It doesn't mean we don't work hard again, but as we rely on God's strength, asking him, and here it is, to pour out his grace on us in every way that we need, the impossible can become possible. Our joy is not in things or happenings. <clears throat> Even, you know, when we're doing things for the Lord, if, if, if that's where we're getting our joy, that's a good thing for us to do. But we have got, it has nothing to do with our personal lives, does it? It has everything to do with asking God to empower us to do these things because when our joy is gone, from doing the things that we think are going to bring us joy, then what happens? We're not joyful anymore. It's not dependent on us. One of my life verses, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So in other words, everything we're attempting in our lives, the impossible, if we're attempting to have joy in the midst of, wow, difficult circumstances, if we are trying to find peace in the midst of turmoil and confusion that we hear not only in our world but in our personal lives or the people around us in the workplace, whatever, um, in, in those good works, if we allow God to bless us in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we can abound in those things that we're, we're trying to accomplish. Wow, very powerful. Rejoice in the Lord. He is the one who will bring us joy in spite of what we might be facing or going through. He is the one that brings it in our lives. Next point, as we rejoice always, we begin to learn to have freedom from anxiety. Now, this, to me, I think this is a lifetime process. It doesn't happen overnight, does it? I may be okay today, and then I might slide back into it tomorrow. It, but it's a lifetime process, and a, as we uh, allow him to show us, we will grow more and more in this, in this way. We begin to learn to have freedom from anxiety. The great writer um, Lloyd Oglesby said this, when we persistently rejoice... We become open to God and open to what he is doing in our lives. When we choose rejoicing, Lord, I don't feel joyful today. <laughs> I don't feel like rejoicing. Are you kidding with what's going on in my life? But would you supernaturally give me that joy so that I can begin to accomplish what you want to do in my lives? A, when we rejoice, our worry subsides. As we rejoice, our worries subside. Worry and anxiety are the enemy of joy and peace, isn't it? Aren't they? Worry and anxiety. And if we have joy in our life, B, when we rejoice, it will affect our attitudes toward other people. Uh, if we have no joy in our lives, we'll not be able to be the gentle, gracious people that God admonishes us to be. When we were on the plane on Sunday flying back here, um, Bob was on the aisle and I was over and then across the aisle from us was this just lovely gentleman older gentleman 
and he was sitting there, and um, this woman sitting by the window started <sighs> yammering, going on and on and on, and I picked up a couple of things, and it was all just <coughs> foolishness. I mean, there was just nothing of consequence. <laughs> and he was just, you know, smiling and nodding, and, you know, he never, she never asked him a question, well, tell me about your family, or, you know, do you have children or grandchildren? There's absolutely no interest whatsoever in this gentleman, and he had this big, it looked like a, a, um, Boy, I'm getting off the track here. But it looked like he had on a, a um, Super Bowl ring or something. And Bob said, I think he used to be a dolphin. I think he may have been in the Super Bowl. So anyway, <laughs> so it was a very interesting gentleman. And she was like, bah, bah, bah. and I said to him, I guarantee he's a Christian. So whereupon the, ho the stewardess, the flight attendant got on, got on and said, um, by the way, we're going to have to uh, vacate the plane because we're having technical difficulties. Oh, no. And welcome to the Allegiant Airlines. That's why we get on the plane for $49. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, we get off the plane, and a couple hours later, we get back on the plane, only this time it was a different plane. And we were all in our same spots and all that kind of thing. And here comes Miss Yammering. And again, he smiling and nodding and listening and laughing and chuckling and all that. And all of a sudden, he, he uh, reached down into his briefcase and what do you think he brought out? Weather-beaten. The, the pages were so thin from notes and underlining and everything. He gets out a journal, and he's reading his Bible, and he's journaling, and I thought, told you, Christian. <laughs> but um, anyway, that he was able to be gentle and gracious to Miss Yammer over here. Because why? He had the Holy Spirit living in him. To give him, you know, to give him that gentleness toward, anyway, wow. Listen to what Paul says in the next verse, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So first, number one on your outline, we need to be considerate, like that gentleman was that I just described to you. Reasonableness. The key in, is consideration or gentleness, as another version says. Some versions say forbearance or graciousness. All of those are part of reasonableness, as it says in verse 5. It means to think of others first, um, going out of our way to be kind and reasonable and gracious and considerate of the people around us. Um, a way to make sure that somebody else has their rights taken care of rather than our own. Gracious to one another. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing at the grocery store? In fact, one time, I'll never forget, I was just starting to get into the line, and I saw, oh, there's my gum I love, and started to reach for it, and this woman with a full grocery cart goes, whoop, and jumps right in front of me. I'm like, I'm going to have to wait past all that. And the lady in the next line said, come on over here. I said, well, you've got to, you know, that's okay. She, and she had a full card as well. And she said, no, just come on. I just saw that. You come on. And I thought, you know what? Pfft, she must have been a Christian. She whipped out a Bible and a joke. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, wow, watchful, looking, seeing, evaluating. Okay, that was a very mean-spirited thing. So what can I do to help that situation? 
Or on a little deeper level, I shared with you a couple weeks ago when Bob's first admin, Lillian, who was like a family member to us, my mom, it was like, and she was like a grandmother to my children. And when she was in the hospital in her final days, she, I remember we, Tori and I went in to, to visit her, and um, she was in a lot of pain under heavy meds and everything else. And she said, so, so Tori, tell me what's going on with you. Rosemary, what's happening? Tell me, you know, what's going on at Sheridan House? And then she said, as, as we were getting ready to leave, again, pain. Didn't know if she was going <laughs> to be in heaven that night or not. She goes, so how can I pray for you guys? And I thought, wow, talk about reasonableness. Talk about self, uh, of, of considering other people instead of yourself. That's what Paul's talking about. We need to be watchful for that. When we go into Publix, we need to be saying, okay, Lord, give me a, an opportunity to be reasonable, to be considerate with somebody else. Whatever it is for us to have that, that reasonableness, to be, have it be known to others, thinking of others first. Number two, we will think of others first when love controls us. Love gives us concern for the other person. Paul is encouraging personal consideration for others as opposed to thoughtlessness or arrogance, being observant of others, letting others, how about this one, letting others in in traffic. I've said this to you a hundred times, but we notice that in North Carolina. Oh, my goodness. They'll say, go ahead. I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, just being thinking and watchful. When we were getting back on the second flight Sunday morning, um, there was this couple behind us who had been on, obviously, the flight before, and she had a toddler in her arms that was all just getting out of sorts and everything. He must have been two at the most, maybe 18 months, and she was trying to hold on to him, diaper bags and everything else. Her husband had a uh, car seat with an infant in it, and, um, you know, he had, yeah, just they were both loaded down with these two small children and, and a roller, and um, big one. And so they were right behind us and struggling and trying to figure out after having had to leave one airplane and get back on another one and everything. And Bob turned around and said, could I wheel that on board for you? And they said, would you? Thank you. <laughs> and interestingly, the flight attendant, who had been with us on the first flight and observed all of that, saw Bob rolling on that suitcase and made a comment to him. Observing each other, seeing the need, that is all a part of this picture. He says that in other places, thinking of letting love control us and thinking of the others first. One of the places, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, again he was in prison, urge you to walk <coughs> in a manner, excuse me, worthy of the calling, to watch you, uh, uh, calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Bible is full of words telling us to be careful, to be careful in doing everything we know to do to create peace in our relationships. How opposite from the culture that we live in. 
where everything is assert myself, it's all about me, if it's going to be, it's up to me, and all those things we've just talked about. <clears throat> we live in a culture that does not emphasize others. Others. The Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, does. Yes. Because three, why? We have an amazing role model, don't we? <laughs> One of the most descriptive is the one we learned in chapter 2, where we learned how Jesus, God himself, we learn in, first, in the first chapter of John, the creator of, and sustainer of the universe, left glory, put on human skin to become a human being, to take on the punishment that my sin deserves by dying on the cross. Why? Because of his reckless love for us. Because someday he wanted us to be in eternity with him. And when we receive that gift of forgiveness, we can spend eternity with him. When we can say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I receive that you took the punishment for my sins, my mistakes, my bad attitudes, my wish I hadn't said that moment, sin. When you took that on the cross, you took my punishment. So I'm based on that. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Cleanse me from my sin. I want you to be my Lord and Savior because someday I want to experience that reckless love in person. Wow. Emptied himself to become a man. What a role model. So in this, if God himself <laughs> could empty himself for our sakes, how much more should we be humble, patient, and considerate to all around us? Wow. When we are attempting to rejoice through the Lord, number four, we will be considerate to everyone, not just, you know, the, the wonderful people in our lives, the ones that love us and encourage us and come alongside us, but all of us, even the difficult ones. I'll, I'll never forget pulling into, um, pulling out of the um, Winn-Dixie Park uh, uh, parking lot, which is, we used to have a Winn-Dixie. I've missed that, love that place. Anyway, uh, and I was getting ready to pull out just as a person across the parking lot was pulling out. And we both were pulling out, and I don't know, we both must have been thinking about other things, and boom, we, we bumped into each other. And, um, and so the man got out of his car, and he's like, I just can't be blah, 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 very angry and began yelling and screaming. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, I, you know, hey, you're just as much as fault as I am. I didn't say that, thankfully. But I felt like the Lord was tapping me and saying, be considerate. And so I thought, okay, be considerate. He's yelling at me, he's calling the police, blaming me. And so I said, you know what? I want to thank, I, I want to apologize to you. Not that, that it was my fault, because it wasn't. It was your fault, too. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, I am so sorry that this happened. And I'm so sorry that our cars, you know, that we ran into each other. I'm so sorry that now we're going to have to wait for the police to get here. I'm so sorry that we may both have damage on the back end of our car. I'm very, very sorry that this happened. You know what happened? Diffused him. Oh, well, yeah, I guess we just weren't looking in the rearview mirror and blah, 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 blah. Consider it. I wouldn't have done that. I would have, you know, I don't know what I would have done. But anyway, uh, the Lord said, consider it, consider it. So I did my best. But 
Anyway, and I didn't even have damage to the end of my car. Wow, imagine that. Anyway, C. We should, why should we be considerate to others? Look at the uh, end of verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Kent Hughes said this, Jesus Christ is closer than our breath, and he is returning soon. Think of that and rejoice. Think of that and be gentle. Wow. Number one, the Lord is near. That great role model that I just described to you that gave up heaven briefly to come down here and become a man on our, for our sake. He's coming back. Did you ever think about this? He could be here today. He could be here tonight at nine o'clock. Would that be wonderful or what? Lord, come on, we're ready. <laughs> but he could be here tonight. And if we have that perspective that any moment... He could come through the sky as he went, as he said he was going to do, do and, and come and take his church and bride and go to heaven. The second coming could be any moment. If we thought about that, would that change my attitude toward other people? Would it change my attitude about the man that ran into the back end of my car? Would it change my attitude to how we, when we're at the grocery store, to our, our families, our children, our grandchildren, our husbands, or whatever it is, co-workers that are difficult? <clears throat> would that change our perspective? I think so, don't you? If we knew that tonight was the very night, wouldn't we want to get our lives put together? There is a great um, parable that Jesus told that talks about that in uh, Matthew 25. We won't look it up or anything, but it's a story about the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. And five of them had their lanterns ready to go. They're waiting, 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 waiting for the bridegroom to come. And that was part of the, the, tr the customs of the day. And, um, and, and so they were waiting and watching for him. The other five were like, oh, man, I'm a little tired. Oh, I'm going to have another, um, you know, donut or whatever. I'm just going to hang out and just be. And their lanterns were not filled and ready. And so what happened? When the bridegroom arrived, they were out getting oil for their lanterns and missed that is so profound in our lives. Are we living as if the great bridegroom with a capital B is going to arrive at any moment? That's our perspective. If we live in this awareness, it will affect our character. If we live our lives in anticipation of the return of the Lord, it will help us be more Christ-like um, in, uh, in, in, in our disposition and the way we respond. But here's the other thing. Not only... Is he coming at any time? But as Kent Hughes says, he, he's closer than our breath. He is with us every moment of every day. Now, how does he do that with all of us, with all the Christians around? I don't know. We'll ask him that when we get to heaven. But the point is that he is uh, with us all the time. He is here with us today, right now. He is with us. And so he is a breath of, away. That should change our perspective on how we uh, uh, head into our life and our difficult difficulties sometimes. Next on your outline, stress-free living involves prayer. Stress-free living involves prayer. Look at verse, uh, the first part of verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Or other versions say, A, don't worry about anything. Have you ever done this? Two o'clock in the morning, bing, your eyes are awake. And you start saying, okay, that situation that I'm in right now, um, I, okay, if I do this, then that will happen. But, oh, what about that? If I do that, then this will... And we spend all this time trying to figure out how to iron out a 
situation or a difficult person or whatever it is, that implies that you and I think we can fix a situation. And doesn't it seem to be more so in the middle of the night? Yes, I don't know why that is, but uh, anyway, but if we are anxious for nothing or worried about anything, number one, then it speaks of a confidence that God is in control, not me, God. It speaks that he will bring his purposes about in our lives. I need to remind myself when I'm fretting at night to say, okay, stop. Instead of fretting, I'm going to say, Lord, okay, you've got the situation, you know all of the things involved. Take it. Let me pray about it. Let me bring it before you. You know all of it, and you know the best solution. I can't come up with it, but you can. And so to turn that, that anxiousness, that, that worry, and turning it into prayer is, will, will help us in that process. Number two, worry literally pulls us in opposite directions. And isn't that true? I mean, I can almost feel that. When I talk about worry, pulling me this way, pulling me that way, try this, think that, do this, and we feel pulled. It's such a great description. Um, our hopes pull us in one way, our fears in the other. We're torn about by the cares in our life. But Paul tells us to deal with worry that pulls us in so many di directions. B, instead, pray about everything. The rest of the verse says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. First, number one, we're to pray in relationship. In, in everything in our prayer, it needs to be about our relationship with him in big things and little things. Rather than sleepless nights of worry, we're to focus on God, pondering our relationship with him. You know, Lord, okay, I'm so worried about this situation or this circumstance, but let me stop a minute. I don't want to think about this. I want to think about you. And I want to think about how in control you are. Goodness sake, if you had that sun go down a couple of hours ago, and here I am with my eyes wide open, it's not even daylight. Anyway, if you can bring that sun up and take it down in the morning, if you can keep the sun in its place, if you can take not just our little insignificant tiny little sun in our galaxy but you keep all the other galaxies in place i think you can have deal with my problem and instead of pulling apart and worrying and anxious and anxious and anxious putting our gaze on him thinking about him praying thinking about our relationship with him i believe one of the reasons he wants us to pray is for our relationship to develop remember jesus and his model prayer we call it the lord's prayer but really john 17 is the lord's prayer as he was about to go to the cross but um and it, when jesus taught us how to pray the lord's prayer the the model prayer he began by saying our father who art in heaven the word father in the original language meant daddy abba and that was the first time that the Jewish community had heard that phrase before. To think about Jehovah as Abba, Daddy, that was what he was trying to teach us, that we have, a, because of Jesus, have a relationship with the Almighty God. Wow, he is now our holy Daddy. Wow. 
We certainly understand that as women. I mean, we respond to relationship, don't we? Uh, we can sh when we can share our hearts and our needs and spend time with each other sharing our hearts, wow, that, that, that is just such a joy. We get that. <laughs> especially as women, we respond well. In fact, it's so funny, again, in the airport, but we were sitting there, huh, waiting, 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 and um, there was a, a group of women, ladies, and they had clearly been on a ski trip or something, I don't know, and they're just gabbing away and talking, and it wasn't, it wasn't yammering like that woman by the room, but I mean, they were talking, and yeah, what, what happened with your son in college, and blah, 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 and they're all just talking, and Bob said, it's just so interesting to listen to women. I mean, they just, <laughs> they just, I can share. And I said, yeah, that's right, we can. Uh, hence, the joy of our small groups, where we can study the word together and say, well, what do you think this means? Well, I think it means this. And, well, this is how I was able to apply it this week, and this is how it really helped me and my whatever. And, and we love to share. We love relationship as women. And that's what, what Paul is saying, is develop your relationship here. Jesus has made that available to you develop your relationship. Um, that is one purpose. But then secondly, he says, pray about all things. Uh, we're to pray about, um, we're, we're to develop that relationship, but we're also to pray about the big things, our health, finances, relationships, whatever it is. Um, I, uh, I love that the Almighty God, the sustainer of the universe, is concerned about our lives, not just the big things, we talked about this as group leaders, but the small things. He participates in the little things. You know what I'm talking about. If I told you mine, Becky would say, well, that might be a nice coincidence. But if she told me hers, I'd say, well, that might be a nice coincidence. But we know in our hearts when it has been God that has done a sweet thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yesterday, as I was um, preparing for last night and this morning, I, I was um, just starting my devotions and... Um, struggling with this one thing and I opened my Bible and what what happened it's happened to you a hundred times right right there boom answer and I said Lord you keep the galaxies in place and that you care about the little things in my life that you have me open to the next place I'm gonna be in the Bible and there's my answer Wow that was God he does that in all our lives. It's so beautiful. He cares about the big things and the little things. We're also number three, not to, uh, to pray about all things, small, big, all of it, but number three, in supplication. Again, the verse, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication means earnest sharing of a problem. Paul is saying, present him your needs. Come to him in relationship, in praise and worship of who he is. Then we are to tell him what our problems are. We are to share our needs, to itemize them. Roby was talking a while ago about talking about earnest, persistent prayers, and he, he called it, he kind of coined it, precision praying, specific. Lord, I, would you give me an answer in this particular area? I'm going to precision pray about this rather than saying, okay, Lord, would you take my life and have it be good today? No. Pray about, okay, Lord, I have this issue that I need to deal with. I have this I need to figure out. Precision praying, specific precision prayer. Um, Jesus' parable of the, the woman that kept knocking on the door. Remember he talked about it in Luke 18. Such a fun story. Where Jesus telling himself, he said, I want to tell you a story. 
There was once this woman, widow, she had been unjustly handled, and she kept knocking on the door of the judge, night after night after night, and finally the judge says, okay, I am done. You can have your uh, justice. You can have your moment. I'm going to take care of this. And then he ended by saying this, the next verse, for, or verse 7, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? He hears us. Jesus himself used that story to illustrate how we are to come to him over and over again, saying, Lord, this is the area I need. Would you take care of this? I love the other one. The other story that's in uh, Matthew 15 and ver uh, verse 27 talks about a Canaanite woman that came to Jesus. This is not a, a parable. This is a real event. And she came to Jesus and she's saying, could you please heal my daughter? And Jesus, using this as an illustration, he wasn't being mean-spirited, he was using this as an illustration, he said, well, you know, I have been, I came here to first minister to Israel. And she said, yeah, but, you know, and, and kind of talking back and forth, and she said, you know, think about this, Jesus, um, even the dogs can eat crumbs off the floor. And Jesus stopped everybody and said, never in all of Israel, have I heard such faith? He was, allowing, he was sounding mean-spirited to give that opportunity for this woman to pursue praying for her needs to Jesus. And guess what he did? He healed the daughter. Absolutely. Does God want us to persistently keep on, keep on, keep on praying? Yes. Does he hear us? Absolutely. Absolutely. B, and then not only pray for your supplications, pray in relationship, but number four, pray with thanksgiving. Look at verse six. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't we tend to come in? We, I, I don't know about you, but I struggle with, boom, okay, here's the supplication. Lord, I have got a legal pad today, boy. I'm telling you, I'm praying for so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so Stop in relationship first, in with thanksgiving. What does that mean? That means before we start going into our laundry list of needs, which he wants us to bring, precision praying, we should be saying, Lord, I just want to thank you. I can't believe that yesterday when I was studying for Bible study, you gave me that answer. Thank you. Lord, I can't believe that we finally did get on that plane and get home. Thank you. All those things. We need to, with thanksgiving, especially when we're going through difficult times, we need to be remembering all that he's doing in our life. We, I've talked about this a hundred times, but that uh, book by Anne von Camp, where she encouraged everybody to keep a, a grateful journal. And everything from, oh, it was such a beautiful sunset, Lord, write it down. And she encouraged everybody, and that I have, you know I've done this, I always begin my, my devotions with that. Lord, thank you for yesterday. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And it helps me in my coming before the Lord with my laundry list of supplications to remember what he has answered, what he has done in my life, to be thankful and thinking. It helps our faith because it reminds me, uh, reminds all of us that he, of what he has done. I'll never forget, uh, there's a, a young woman, she's been on your urgent prayer request, a young mother who is uh, struggling through cancer. 
And um, she, I'll never forget, she says, you know, I, I remember all the time, God's got this. And she said, that helps me in my prayer time. God's got this. He is able. He's got this. Wow. And he does. And then what happens? God's peace will then guard our hearts. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is where the peace comes. When we joyfully go to him in prayer turning over our things, remembering what he's done, remembering who he is, his capabilities, and we're bringing our needs to him. And what happens then? Then we will be A, guarded, we will be guarded by God. I love this verse in the New Living Bible. If you do this, you will experience, here it is, God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Jesus Christ. We will be guarded in God. Guarded the idea of confinement. He will guard us. He'll keep us in, in confinement. We will be guarded by God. He will be the one to keep us in that confinement. It's the idea of being in God's fortress. Isn't that a, a, isn't that a neat, I don't know if you've been to England or, or even St. Augustine and you go into the, um, those forts and you see those walls that are like this thick and to, and to imagine that God is keeping me in a fort like that. In confinement, he's confining me. He's watching over me. He's protecting me. I get to be in the fort with God. I don't want to make light of that, but that's what, I, what this verse is saying, that we are protected by him in his fortress. The idea is confined, protected in God, guarded in a fortress of God's peace. B, what is God's peace like? Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. The world's peace is everything working out just the way I want it to be. No. God's peace is not like the world's peace. The world's peace, uh, an absence of friction or problems or difficulties. No one's bothering us. But A, God's peace is that God is in control. God is in control. Wow. It's, it's not, oh, if I could just get a spa day, go lie there, have somebody give me a massage, you know, a facial, oh my goodness, because guess what? The minute you walk out of the door, you're in traffic. And the problem starts. It doesn't take anything away, does it? It relieves it maybe for an hour, but that is so temporary. But a peace is in the midst of turmoil and confusion, number three. It is beyond what we can understand. Back to verse seven again in the Living Bible. Far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. No amount of human planning or controlling circumstances can produce that kind of peace. The peace that will keep our thoughts and hearts rest and quiet in Christ Jesus. Two areas that, that worry and pray, uh, plague us most is first our thoughts, our minds, and then it goes down into our hearts. How do we avoid that? Well, once again, going back to Lillian and the story I told you a while ago, Bob's admin, when she said, one of those last days we went to see her. Remember, I told you, she said, my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. That peace, that confidence of knowing where she was headed gives us an incredible perspective 
on what we're dealing with. It gives us a peace and a joy. Wow. In your homework, there was a, a, a little cute thing by John Stott that uh, was just absolutely profound, I thought. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious humans rush around about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they don't have a heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Isn't that good? If he cares for the sparrows, does he not care for you and me? Absolutely. Absolutely.